Christian life than going to church and reading your Bible. Ever wondered just how involved God is in your daily life? Then you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis and Vicar Dylan Meyer, as we take an in-depth look at applying the scriptures to our daily lives, the Ten Commandments, baptism, Lord's Prayer, and more. Welcome to the Living Faith. Welcome to Living in Faith, special episode. My name is Pastor Tom Marsa, Senior Pastor of Zion Lutheran Church. And with us today, we have a very special guest, Reverend Dr. Adam Filipek. Uh, he's going to be a part of our workshop coming up in February on such a time as this. And we're excited to hear a little bit about his background and his book. Welcome today, Adam. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Tom. It's good to be with you. And greetings to our listeners in the name of our crucified, risen, reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was, who is, and who is to come. Well, it's awesome to have you with us today. If you haven't uh, heard before, uh, Adam has a book out, and the name of the book is Living Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. It is available through Concordia Publishing House, I'm sure other places as well. Uh, and we're going to dive in a little bit. Uh, one of the nice things about having Adam as our one of our presenters at our such a time as this. He's a native North Dakotan. You're from near Minot, uh, you said. Absolutely. Why not Minot? I grew up in uh, Burlington, the Deluxe area. If, you, if you're familiar, the DLBHS Lakers is my home. <laughs> well, yes. Anybody who knows the, the B schools would know who they are, obviously. So, And you grew up as a member at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot. I did. I was uh, I was a member there most of my life until I went away to seminary. I had Pastor Jenks. Kenneth Jenks is my my pastor for a while. And then right before I left, we were in the call process and got a new pastor who is uh, currently our North Dakota district president, Pastor Birch. And so it talks about that fundamental background as we dive into it. Um, as you went to prepare for seminary, where did you do your undergrad study? My undergrad was at Minot State University. I got a bachelor's in management information systems and a minor in philosophy. Call it uh, just needing to get through everything. I kind of knew I wanted to to go the route of pastoral ministry when I was about a junior in high school. Uh, Pastor Jenks had encouraged me to do so. And it, at, at first I was like, whatever, man, I'm going to be a jazz musician. I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. Hmm. But, uh, you know, as the, as the Lord works, I ended up uh, doing that. So I was a uh, Grew up kind of doing business, computer stuff, and uh, programming on the web. So I went into that and got a minor in philosophy and went to uh, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis in 09 is when I graduated. I went there in 05. Okay. So when you graduated from seminary, you got sent to the East Coast uh, new, near New York, uh, the New York area. And uh, that must have been a little bit of a shock to a kid from Minot, North Dakota, what was ministry like for you out on the East Coast? It was a lot of fun. I, I have found over my course, uh, while of time in the pastoral ministry, over the course of my life, all 40 years of it, you know, that wherever you go, you just get to meet interesting people. God's people are good to you, whether you're on the East Coast or Mid Coast or, uh, or uh, the West Coast or, or the, uh, the Midwest. But it was different in that there was a lot more culture and a lot more diversity and people and thought. And so I'd run into all kinds of different ways of 
thinking and processing life and worldviews. So that was kind of kind of wild and fun to be able to just have a variety of conversations with a variety of people. Most people think New Yorkers aren't friendly, but hey, if you get them on the Long Island Railroad and they got nowhere else to be, well, you can chat with them like a chat with a North Dakotan. Well, and I think that this is an interesting perspective as we're uh, getting ready to dive into your book to realize that different people are, are looking at things differently. That doesn't mean the message changes, but how we deliver the message, obviously. And you were talking about being on the rail. That was one of them. You're not going to experience that really in North Dakota. But the idea is that the message stays the same. And so as you dive into this book that we're going to be talking about, that you're going to be presenting a little bit about of life in Christ, it, it shows that you come from a different, per, you've had different perspectives in ministry, preaching to people who have a different perspective, but yet the gospel stays the same. Absolutely. And it is, it is probably one of the most fun things you can do as a pastor to just be a part of people's lives and to get involved in different aspects of, of, well, yes, vocation. Um, what's your job? What's your, what's your life, but backgrounds and history and where'd you come from or where'd you grow up and what do you do? You know, just being involved in that life gives you a unique opportunity to proclaim Christ to a particular person rather than just the general Jesus died and rose for you. That's true, but that law and gospel into people's lives really does make that difference and take that nuance. And this is an exciting thing as you go through your book. Now, uh, before we dive into the book, you obviously did your doctoral dissertation as well, and you, you did your doctorate through Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And what was the exact area? It's not quite the book, but what was no. the area that you did your doctoral dissertation uh, as a foundation, so to speak, getting into the writing of the book? So the best way that I can uh, sort of summarize that is just an intentional focus on teaching and preaching, what we might call catechesis, to, to help Christians um, form their lives and their worldview and perspective more than just like, oh, church is something I do for one hour a, a week and I check my head at the door. I can take it. I can, I can leave it. But just to see that the sum totality of your life is always, whether you are in service, whether you're out of service, whether you're a father, mother, a sister or brother, whether you're an employee, employer, your life is always lived in Christ. There's no moment of your life that is, is not spent being a Christian, right? And sometimes we lose that perspective and the Christian faith just becomes about what I know, or maybe um, I can check my head even at the door and just come for one hour a week and I'm good. But just just kind of that opening up the eyes perspective that I had honestly throughout my own seminary career and as I've become a pastor, just, just seeing that every minute of every hour of every day is actually a life lived in Christ and that church is not just one hour a week, but it, it, Christ is my whole life. So interestingly enough, um, the podcast is called Living the Faith, and and in Living the Faith, that means taking it from what we've known to be what we are, and that is living out that life of faith. One of the things I think that's very interesting uh, for your book is it retells a lot of the stories, so to speak, from the scriptures that we know from Sunday school, from confirmation class, perhaps sitting in the pew listening to sermons as we've heard them. And it's very easy, I think, isn't it, sometimes to make them historical lessons and not necessarily life lessons. And that's kind of the transition as I look at your book that you're making from history lessons to life lessons. 
Absolutely. I, there's so much what I, what I talk about in my, in my book is how everything is sort of a decompartmentalized understanding. Whoa, that's a lot. Okay. So let's make it a little easier then. It's kind of like, so we don't all exactly understand what that meant, but I know you're getting there. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, the Christian faith can kind of be like a, you know, a puzzle. Think of a puzzle. We, I like to put puzzles together. If you don't think of a puzzle, sorry for the analogy, go to a different happy place. Right. But if I'm doing a puzzle, I need to know how the picture looks so I can put the pieces together and I can see the breathtakingly beautiful picture. But a lot of times we get little just puzzle pieces throughout our lives. You know, you come to church, you hear a a set of three readings. There's three puzzle pieces and they might connect for the day. But out there in the world, I don't know what that means. Or I pick up the Bible, I read it for 10 minutes devotional, I put it down. I go to Sunday school or Bible class, I get an hour and Pretty soon I got a lot of pieces on the table, but they don't connect and I don't see the picture, or in this case, my life within the larger picture of God's story of salvation for all people from Genesis to Revelation. So it's kind of, Christian faith kind of like someone, uh, as I said in the book, just takes a 3,000-piece puzzle, comes in, dumps the puzzle on the table and says, wow, look at the beautiful picture, and walks out of the room and takes the box with them. And you're left like, oh, I got this piece. I guess that's kind of... But you don't see how it connects. And if you don't see how it connects, that can be kind of dangerous because not only is it threatening to make the message, you know, essentially not an important part of your life, inconsequential, but uh, it makes the puzzle about you sometimes. And this isn't our, our story. It's not our puzzle. It's, it's God's story. It's, it's God's story of salvation. Well, staying with your analogy of the, the puzzle, it's very easy to try to make the picture what you want it to be instead of what it has to be or is uh, if we don't know where we're going with that. You know, one of the things that you, we were talking about before we got started with the podcast, some of the charts and stuff that you have in the book that makes sense. I mean, growing up, um, almost anybody in Sunday school will hear the story of Moses and the, the uh, 10 plagues. And it's very easy to get all wrapped up in what the different plagues are. You know, the cattle dying, the R- Nile River turning to blood. And that, that's all uh, fancy and interesting stories. But there, it's more than just God decided to, well, I'll, this time we'll do the blood on the Nile. This time we'll, you know, kill the firstborn. There's a real purpose behind it. And you show in the book, and I'll let you reveal what that is, that it's more than just 10 things. That There's a purpose behind those 10 things that God used in that and showing the bigger part of the story. Absolutely. And there's there's sort of five purposes to all this as it walks through the, the story. Uh, the first one is just that you have a people who have been waiting for a promise for a long time. Since Genesis chapter 3, they've been waiting for, for the restoration of God's presence to dwell with him again face to face where there's no sin and suffering and sorrow and death. And they've been waiting for this promised child back in the Garden of Eden who would crush the serpent's head and give us back the, the presence of God. Well, the end of Genesis took us straight to Egypt because of all the things going on with, with um, famines and things like that. And so you have Joseph 
Joseph in Egypt and Pharaoh rises and he, he doesn't know. And then as the people become more numerous, the, the Pharaoh thinks, the new Pharaoh thinks, well, wait a minute, they could overpower us. So he enslaves them, right? You got 400 years in slavery. But the, the first purpose then is to actually fulfill one of God's promises that they could enter into the promised land and dwell with him. Well, in order to do that, he has to free him from slavery, right? And that's the first purpose of actually the 10 plagues, to free them of slavery. But the second one is that the Egyptians, they have heard of God, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we come to know him uh, and, and confess his holy name. But back as it is, is there in the Old Testament at that time, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So we, they've heard of him, but Pharaoh is known as kind of this part God, on uh, in the land of Egypt, and so he is one who um, is himself known as a Lord. And so part of this whole thing then is this confrontation between the true God and the false gods. And there are a lot of them. And in fact, if you've ever uh, seen the Sphinx, you know, in Egypt and things like that, you've always got some sort of part man and part animal. And that part animal is always representative of a God. And so part of the, the purpose of those plays then is to show that I am the Lord to punish the uh, the false gods uh, and their oppression to demonstrate the the foolishness of idolatry that would be the third one to reveal the who God is I mean after each one of these things after each of the plagues it's always then Pharaoh will know that I am the Lord right there's no other there's none like me I'm the real Lord I'm the real God and he's the he's the creator of all things and you see that in in the demonstrations of each one of those plagues, each one of those plagues, a particular Egyptian god is targeted, uh, the creator of water, the Nile in the first one. You know, you got the god of, of childbirth with, with the god of the, the frogs there. You have familiar ones like Imhotep, you know, if you ever watched The Mummy or something like that, you know, the god of medicine. And so you have that whole issue of the boils appearing on the sixth plague until finally you get to... The, really the, the the god of of the dead and the patron deity of pharaoh who is osiris and that's the final plague i am the god of of not the dead but but the living right i kill i make alive that sort of sort of aspect there that leads to their freedom so there's there's great purpose and profound meaning in those plagues well it's it's wonderful how you draw that out that god has a plan i mean throughout your book it goes back that god has a plan and he's leading us somewhere it's more than just a bunch of stories that are cobbled together, that there is a purpose and a reason behind that. And you mentioned it earlier with using your example of, of the uh, puzzle pieces, that the puzzle pieces all have a purpose as you put them together. But if you don't know what they are, it's just a bunch of different sections. And so uh, the, the beauty of uh, confirmation, so to speak, the teaching of drawing this all together, here's the stories and here's God's purpose behind all these stories. And that's really what you talk about rooted, woven, and grafted. I mean, it's all interacted and to, and together in the story. Absolutely. And that's, that's I think, some, some of the things that often get eclipsed. And so to put those pieces together, like you're doing with your podcast and the name of your podcast, it's, it's the same purpose, that Christians might see the entirety of their lives lived for who and what they are. They are Christians, and their unique little lives, their unique little puzzle piece or story is actually just one 
piece of a much larger, much grander puzzle that's older than any of us are, except God himself, and that goes to that day when we are face-to-face with our fellow saints, our fellow puzzle pieces around the throne of the Lamb, crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne of the Lamb, when we actually see God once again and dwell in his presence, no sin, no sorrow, no death. So it's, it's remarkable when you see it that way. Well, one of the things that's unfortunate, obviously, we're not doing a video podcast, just an audio podcast. But one of the things that you said you reference over and over again when you teach this material is uh, the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, when I teach that, generally, I, I always and I think this is something we learned at seminary is that the Old Testament points to Christ who is to come. The New Testament points back to Christ who has come. And yet the the. Uh, wonderful uh, thing that you have in your book. You have the cross in the middle as you bring it around to it. So why don't you try and paint a little picture and see if we can, if we can get the listeners to hear what you're, where you're going with that. Sure. So if you could imagine, if you will, to give you a visual image of this or a mental image of this, this uh, graph, if you imagine what a horseshoe might look like, okay? You imagine a horseshoe, you can kind of get that idea. And then in the the very bottom dip of the horseshoe, you have this cross from the bottom towering over the horseshoe, dead center in the middle. If you can picture that, good, because I can walk you through what that actually means so you don't just have a horseshoe and a cross, right? Um, the first start of it, that, that straight line that you would get on the left side of the horseshoe until it dips down, I label as Genesis 1 through 3, because we are straight in the presence of God. We are face to face with Him. It is perfect. There is no sorrow. There is no sin. There is no suffering. But when Genesis 3 comes and Adam and his wife eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we are corrupted. I mean, you get this right away when the the response comes to the woman. It's not when God holds Adam accountable. What is this you have done? He doesn't say, oh, you're you're right. My my bad. I'm sorry. I did that. I sinned. Forgive me. No, he like takes his wife and uh, under the wrath of God's bus and says, oh, here. He throws her under the, the bus and says, back up over. Right. No, the woman, it's your problem that you put me here. See, she's a problem. You're a problem. Of course, you're conspiring against me sort of thing, right? So from that point on, we see the narrative just spiral down to its lowest point. We see the entirety of the Old Testament uh, kind of really, I would say, summarized in these words. This is the one that I keep going back to. Uh, in Genesis 3.15, God notes that, well, well, we can do nothing to fix this. There is something that is going to be done to fix this problem, which inevitably drives us outside of the presence of God. It was never a problem to be in God's presence until we sin. Then we hide from God and God kicks us out of the garden. So he says in 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, this is interesting because notice the actor in that verse is not us. It's God. We're not going to do anything about it. God's going to do something. And the enmity there, that it, for enmity to exist, the opposite of enmity is amnity or a friendship, right? So right. there's a major change that occurs there. We go from being friends face-to-face with God and his creatures to being, well, if enmity has to be driven in there uh, between the serpent and the man, then there must exist uh, an amnity between 
man and the devil. And so God's going to drive a wedge between that. He's going to drive a wedge between the devil and us, between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the devil. And then we get to a very particular, he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. So the whole Old Testament then um, from Genesis three forward, the rest of my chart goes all the way down to Malachi to the bottom point when we're looking at a whole host of history, but throughout all the history, it's always been a kind of about a twofold lens um, that can be summarized in this in this focus. Where is the the promised child who's going to crush the head of the serpent and give us back the presence of God? Where is the promised child who's going to crush the head of the serpent and give us back the presence of God? What we lost when God kicked us out of the garden his face-to-face presence. And so you'll notice throughout the Old Testament, God appears for a while to a, a few people. And then, oh, he He leads in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of by night. But when they get to the, the mountain, oh, they can't go near God. So you have the tent. Well, then there's a curtain. They can't go near with him later, a temple. They can't go near. So there's this constant separation between God and, and that presence of God and getting back into that. Finally, in the fullness of time, um, at that very pinnacle center point of history, God sends forth his son, born of a woman. And that's what the cross is. You've got shooting up out of the middle that uh, that promise fulfilled. The promised child has come. His name is Jesus Christ, the New Testament. And then you go from from all the way from the bottom of the horseshoe to the top of the horseshoe, which is which is that uh, end of Jude and into then you get the straight line to Revelation. Right. And you go end of Jude because it's the church's history post ascension of Jesus, post resurrection and post ascension. And then uh, the rest of the line at the uh, on the right hand side goes to Revelation, that 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 restoration of God's presence. But I say there's a problem here because once you get to Jude, well, Scripture itself doesn't have more books in it except Revelation. And so you and I live smack dab in the middle post ascension, pre-resurrection of all flesh, and then I have a little circle at the top of that horseshoe. So uh, just to show where we fit into all of that story, Genesis Revelation. So that's that's a little bit of the figure. And really what's really interesting there is your book leads up to that because the, the graph that you just described doesn't come about until chapter seven. So you've been building up to that. What you know, the, the title of your uh, different chapters really kind of sets the, the tone. Now, chapter one, you were referencing it with Genesis uh, chapters one, two, and three, the great disconnect, the, the disconnect between uh, Adam and Eve, basically that means us at, at in the Garden of Eden. And then you go through the story throughout the Old Testament and leading up to chapter seven, which has this graph that you just described, joined to Christ. Yeah. And then how we live in Christ, then, you know, abiding in Christ, living under Christ uh, in the those last chapters, how that is the life that we now live in faith uh, post uh, resurrection, post ascension, waiting for his return. And, and the beauty of that is it connects all those various Sunday school stories that we learned um, and then put them together into who we are and what we are as Christians. And so now here is the interesting part. We've been building up to this. So you have this great book. It uh, is 140 pages, 146 pages long. Um, And when we have the, for such a time as this, a workshop coming up in February, you have one hour. So (laughs) with that in mind, we're having one hour to be able to present this material that you have in a book of uh, 146 some pages. What is your plan, Dr. Philippe, to be able to do that? 
Oh boy. Well, my plan is to grant to ask you for an extension of time. No, I'm kidding. Um, Sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, No, my plan is really just to lay out the main aspect. uh, Where is this promised child? who has come to crush the head of the serpent, to connect a few Old Testament stories to that, to connect a few New Testament stories, and to connect our life to that, so that in a brief time, the hearer might see the connective thread, or in this case, might see at least a big portion of the puzzle in which their life is, so that they can see how, um, well, everybody's life fits into God's picture, his breathtakingly beautiful picture, or in this case, story of salvation for all people in Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to try to lay out a few of the connective things, Old Testament, New Testament, and connect our life to that. Uh, Hopefully in under an hour, or uh, I say under an hour because I'd like a few questions. Well, absolutely. Well, in in the the, majesty, the majestic thing that we're talking about here is that's the wonder of a preacher Sunday after Sunday, to take that Bible reading that has connection to the pericopes for that particular Sunday, the, the scheduled readings for that Sunday, and then put it into the life of the person in the pew that they are able to apply it out. It, that You want them to learn the reality of the story, but you're also trying to paint the direction of, okay, what do we do with it going forward? And pastor on Sunday morning, you know, 15, maybe 20 minutes on the outside uh, to try to do that. Uh, so it's less than the hour you were talking about for your book, but uh, to paint that. And and it, I, that's what I think uh, a lot of people who don't preach don't understand. It's not a lecture. It's not it's not the same as Bible class. It's uh, it's an application of uh, what the what the words and the scriptures that we read, the very word of God. And how do we now live out that life? And that's the challenge, isn't it? It is definitely the challenge. And you said it so beautifully, Tom, in just the simple analogy of what a pastor is called to do on a Sunday morning and what you and I know too well of having to do each and every uh, Sunday morning is to, I guess, uh, just to refer to it the, in, in, a, in a way that is familiar, if you've read the book, to weave together three sacred areas of history. What God is doing in the Old Testament he does for all people in the person and work of Jesus, and that includes you here and now today. So you get the old woven into the climactic expression of the new of which you are part of. Those three sacred areas of Old Testament, New Testament, and here and now today, your life in Christ. And so uh, what we wanted to do today on our podcast is hopefully pique your interest, because we'd love you to have you come on February 10th and be a part of uh, the for such a time as this, we will have Reverend Dr. Gregory Seltz, a former Lutheran Hour speaker and now uh, working out of Washington, D.C., uh, with us as well that day. And he's going to be presenting as well uh, how we live out that life of faith in the public square. And uh, as uh, Dr. Philippe's book will help uh, talk about how we live out that life of faith each and every day. He said that right at the very beginning of our podcast today. So hopefully we piqued your interest a little bit. Um, and in the show notes, we will have the, the, the name of the book, Life, uh, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. As I said, nowadays you can go online and get it from a lot of places, but uh, it's published by Concordia Publishing House, and uh, it's an opportunity to be able to weave that whole story together And if your interest has been piqued a little bit today, we'd really love to have you be a part of that. 
and uh, he is one of our pastors in the district. So uh, I know the LWML ladies down in the southeast corner got to have him present, and maybe we'll uh, be able to get him to present at some of the other uh, uh, zone rallies along the way and have them do that as well. But we're really fortunate that we've had Dr. Filipek with us today. Any final thoughts, uh, Adam, as we're closing for the day? It is a privilege and honor to be with you and part of the podcast and encouragement for our our listeners, not only to hear the word of the Lord and receive the body and blood of Jesus in the divine service on Sunday morning, but step out of those doors and to live their life always in Christ. Well, we're glad that he was with us today and throughout this past year as we've been going through the various main teachings of the Bible and applying them to our life, living the faith. Uh, this is an opportunity to realize again and again how the stories and the wonder that we see in both the Old and New Testament are not just historical events, but actually life-changing events and impact who and what we are in Christ Jesus. And so we thank Adam for being with us today and hope that this has been a blessing to you. And please uh, check out uh, uh, the Living the Faith podcast as we dive in to the ways that we take the faith that we hear and know and live it out in our daily life. Lord's blessings on you this week.